Hello, everyone. We welcome you to our Sunday morning roundtable discussion. So glad you could join us today. And we are recording from the Plainfield Christian Science Church Independence in Plainfield, New Jersey, in the United States of America. Yippee. <laughs> I'm sorry, I couldn't help myself. <laughs> okay, our morning prayer. This is from page 101 of the Divinity Course and General Collectania. Mrs. Eddie gave a household lesson. She said, hold to the correct view of man that heals. We adulterate the truth when we have a false sense of God and man. We have idols when we hold in thought the beliefs of sin, sickness, and death and believe them to be real. We break the law when we believe that evil is as real as good, for this is a false sense which sees only the inverted image and not the true idea of God. Hence it prevents us from reflecting the healing truth, having but one God and loving our neighbor as ourselves. May Baker Eddy. Thank you very much. Good. Yes. Good. All right, our watching point today. Watch number 297. Watch that you consider proper, properly what might be called one surplus thinking. If you pull up the weeds in your garden without regard to those surrounding it, you will have a steady, have a steady job since the weeds around it continually encroach upon it. If we cultivate right thinking in reference to disease or to sick patients and go no further, the weeds of thought in relation to the rest of our human experience may encroach on the small plot of cultivated right thinking. Mrs. Eddy once declared, quote, if you do not have patients come to you, you can treat the birds and plants. They need treatment. End quote. The birds and plants might stand for our surplus thinking, since we malpractice on whatever we hold in thought as being material or mortal. The whole of creation cries out to us to stop malpracticing on it, by holding it as matter and subject to sin, sickness, decay, and death. Our effort to think right starts with the endeavor to stop malpracticing on our own bodies when we suffer as, as a, when we suffer as a result of it, and to help others who are sick by the same method. Such effort, however, is only a beginning in the right direction. We can never be called right thinkers until we have corrected our surplus thinking. Once during a thunderstorm, Mrs. Eddy directed her students to handle the surplus of electricity. This term suggests mortal mind that has gotten out of control and is running amok. Mrs. Eddy saw the need of controlling and correcting it and admonished her students to do likewise. End quote. Thank you. All right, it comments on that. Well, I was thinking about that surplus in regards to, like, nature, the birds and plants. I, I know I, I used to have worry about the deer and the birds during the winter, but I've learned that you know, every people and all things were created by God, and he gives them their place and purpose, and he doesn't leave them without protection. Mm -hmm. And I don't need to worry about them. In fact, I need to not worry about them. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I've been grateful for that uh, um, understanding. Thank you. Yeah, I really like that watch because it, it, it brought to mind, it's like when you're trying to clean a window, if you clean just a teeny tiny little spot, you still don't get the full big picture, and it's it's not allowing you to see things correctly. So, and it also really emphasizes the importance of, you know, doing our watches for the world, or like Carpenter had said too, when he was working, that he, when he was feeling poorly, he 
uh, I think it was one of the watches before they talked about the riverbed. It's like you have to, you know, you have to sweep it all away, including all the world thought. And he would just start working for the world and then he would feel better. Yes, absolutely. I remember when Mrs. Evans first called her attention to that watching point, um, surplus thinking. And then we all started thinking about what is our surplus thinking? What are we thinking when we're not really thinking? <laughs> and holy cow. <laughs> right. No, it's true. What an awakening that was. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, it's, it's, what are you thinking when you're not sitting in your chair? reading and praying and focusing on God. Then you get up. I, I love what Tom in New York used to say he would study in the morning and then he would get up and start worrying. And um, <laughs> well, that's very often the case, but that's your surplus thinking. Shouldn't be the case, but sometimes it is. So be aware of what you're thinking during the day. Brain it in. Bring it back to God. Lawrence? Yes, it's going everywhere thinking of God. It's all inclusive, really. It, I remember, um, when the, it was John, James and John, when they saw the Samaritans and they were, I'm sure, were thinking wrongly about them. And then, of course, there's a fight goes on and then Jesus in, intervenes and, and says, no, you can't do that. It, it, it's an example to me of the selfless thinking. You're thinking you're, you're fine, but they are not, and that's, that's not right. Mm. That's right. That's a, a good example in The Chosen. Grateful for your own salvation, but not allowing it for others. Yes, exactly. Yes. Well, this is why there's a command to pray without ceasing, right? Yeah. In other words, 24-7, your consciousness should be filled with the truth and not the garbage that your eyes and ears and false beliefs and education and fashion and all that other stuff puts into your consciousness. Guard, guard your consciousness. Stand. Porter at the door of thought. Then you won't have so much surplus <laughs> or whatever thinking. It'll all be correct thinking. And and really, uh, praying without ceasing is right thinking, period. Exactly. Thank you. Yeah. Well, I, I guess you could say, too, you're, you're being a little, dis you're really being dishonest in, in some ways if you declare for the allness of God and that all is mm -hmm. made in the image and likeness of God and then you go off and, and you're only holding a few things that way, that's in some ways a, a type of dishonesty and we do know that honesty is spiritual power. Yeah. It, it is dishonesty. You're absolutely right. And when And when we are dishonest in any type of way, <laughs> we lose we lose the divine power that we have that, that we that we have the right to when we are honest. And as, the more you work on this, and the more conscious you are of what you're thinking, the more alert you will be. It's like, and it'll be like a red flag when you start to drift off. You'll start to feel very uneasy. You'll realize well, thoughts of jealousy are coming in or resentment or other thoughts that are ungodlike. And, and it'll, you'll know where that, you know where that's going to lead you. So that's why be so instant in truth. Era is always too late. Catch it early. Don't let it fester. In an article that Carrie sent, Staying with the Truth, um, this is a quote, The mariner diligently follows the course to his destination, his eyes on the compass, alert to any slightest deviation, and quick to adjust the helm. So, we, having perceived the direct and indestructible relationship of man to his perfect creator God, should ever maintain in consciousness our unity with infinite good and be as eager and alert as he to detect by means of our thought compass that which should betray us 
and send us headlong upon the wreaths of doubt and discouragement. By quickly returning to the truth of being and continuing there, we shorten the journey from sense to soul, from grief to joy, from sickness to health. And I maintain, I know in my own experience, you don't just wake up one morning sick as a dog or depressed as can be or with all this terrible stuff going on at work. You, you, it's been going on. You've been working on this. Your thought has been not where it should be. And if you can acknowledge that and, and see where you can correct it and, and then you will make progress and it won't happen again. I've told the story when I used to have coals all the time. Um, bad, bad coals a lot. And Mrs. Evans told me it was a form, coals were a form of weeping. And when I realized that, yes, before I would get colds, I was usually depressed, sometimes even crying about something. So, Mrs. Eddy says, too, watch thought, not your body. And this is what I'm sure is meant by having a moral compass. You've heard that term referred to people they either have a moral compass or they don't. <laughs> well, hopefully we all do. <laughs> well, it's, it's, yeah, I mean, it's normal and natural within each one of us. We either follow it or we don't, right? Yeah. And deep down, you you will know or you are knowing, oh, this is not correct, this is not right, but mm-hmm. how you go forward or you don't. But a strong compass is one who has a strong faith and understands what is right. That's why we that's why we study our lesson every morning. Yes, and you know it, it's really wonderful because all over the the whole world, you know, all kinds of people, people who don't even know about the Bible, but most people they have this conscience in them, right? They they know certain things wrong to do and they know certain things are right to do and that's the voice of God speaking to all all mankind and it's quite because it would be if God is all and it's everywhere it would be a shame if, if only people who can read hear him it's a, yeah. that's right. right everyone everyone has that so yes it's quite remarkable, you know, and I see it in my dealings with people um, from all different walks of life and backgrounds, what they say, how they act, how they behave themselves. For the most part, they've got this, this moral compass, yes. And those that don't, this is why we pray that they will get it. I mean, and they, people, we've heard stories, people in prison, the worst situations, they've had an awakening, right? Right. Changed, yes. It's in everyone. Go ahead. No, I'm, I was going to say it's an awakening to really what's already there. Um, yes. It, it's not something you bring from somewhere. It's already in everyone. The kingdom of God it says it's within everyone. And you awake to it uh, more so. And fortunately, oh, people who are in prison, I guess they have the time to be reading and so on and really reaching out to be awakened to what's already in them. Thank you. Yes, absolutely. And that that is how we approach everyone, not like we know something and they don't, but there is the kingdom of God within them. And you're just addressing that. And if it seems to be buried a bit, it will come forth. It has to, especially if you treat them with Christly love. Mm-hmm. And look at the uh, prodigal son. Mm-hmm. After, what he, after what he went through, being distracted and tempted, he came to himself. In other words, he he woke up to what was really, truly there, and realized who he who he in truth really was. And that's something that anybody and everybody 
can do, and we should help people get there. And by knowing they already are there. <laughs> so. yeah. All right. Our subject today is mortals and immortals. Um, we have that golden text of the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Um, it's a wonderful gift, this idea. Never born, born into matter, never dying out of it. There are not two of you. There's just the immortal. And this is not a gift that comes only at Christmas mm-hmm. or on your birthday. <laughs> <laughs> and the word gift may not be the right word because it is it is God manifesting himself. God can't help but give, if you will. Is that like then? It is the grace of God, yes. God can't help but manifest himself in us. That's why he can't help but love us. And yes, the Bible talks about many different types of gifts that God gives us. One of them is the gift of grace, but I think in a way maybe they're all related or interrelated, but this, the gift of is to really think about. Now, we have on our website, there are two association addresses, one by Herbert Rickey called Immortality, and another, I, I guess that's his wife, Dorothy Rickey. It is his wife, yeah. Um, immortality brought to life. Life. Oh, sorry. I've got my... brought to light (laughs) um, they're both you know wonderful articles Karen has recorded Immortality Brought to Light that's over two and a half hours it's a long one one. there's a lot to it and uh, Louise who sent me some things she was expressing a lot of gratitude for that one and the recording of it Um, and also the Herbert Rickey. Herbert Rickey, I'll quote him, he says, Don't be a mortal living in a state of mortality. Be an immortal living in this glorious state of immortality, enjoying everything immortal, beautiful, good, and true. Live in that eternal mind that knows no beginning and no end, no birth and no death. Live in that perfect life that exists through all time. It is eternity itself. In no other way can you demonstrate the infinite capacities of healing in Christian science. And then he goes, and this is a very interesting way to approach this, this idea that you were never born. So he goes around to people in his association saying, don't you remember being at the crossing of the uh, Red Sea, <laughs> Mrs. So-and-so, and don't you remember this, and don't you remember that? I mean, why weren't you there? Uh, something to think about. And I think in some ways, those of us who are enjoying The Chosen, it's one of the reasons we enjoy it so much. It's like being there, right? It's like being there. It is. The more we study this and, you know, have our Bible studies and lessons and everything, the more real it's been to me. So. Yes. So we, we mustn't limit ourselves. And, uh, and of course, Mrs. Eddy says it many times and in many ways. And Ricky brings out, Herbert Ricky brings out too, instead of pre-existence, the word coexistent is better. Right? Because pre-existent. Right. It measures, assumes time. Mm-hmm. But coexistent is the eternal relationship mm-hmm. between man and God. And there is this quote. I've given it to you many times. I keep it in my full text. I start off in my morning with it. It's by Mary Baker Eddy, where she says, and it's from the Red Book, page 74, Instead of being bound for the grave, we must know we are on the eternal road of life that has no sense of death. Mm -hmm. 
it just opens my thought every morning. Um, the eternal road of life that doesn't even have any sense of death. Because I'm telling you, don't we get bombarded? Uh, we get these things in the mail about senior citizen homes and all of this preparing for for death, ultimately. <laughs> and to that I say, no, thank you. Yeah, no, the commercials always look like they're having such oh, fun. <laughs> right. Oh, my goodness. And, and the commercials are obviously trying to appeal to people who aren't having fun, who are right. miserable, <laughs> as if this is going to take them out of their misery. Yeah. So, oh, yes, please, let me put you on speaker. Hold on, just one moment, please. One moment, please. Okay, I think you oh, wait. Here we go. Okay. What I wanted to say is that uh, as wonderful as Germany is, one of the things that you have to be very careful about in countries that offer medical support is that people can be mesmerized by the idea, by the seduction of the, of, uh, the government or the health uh, you know, the state health societies that uh, we offer this and we offer you that. And I think that distracts people from really working with what we've been talking about here, which is to keep our minds on the mark of the one mind blessing. I was reading something that he was in the six days of Revelation in the book. So, as you know, wonderful as it seems to a lot of people, they have to, we have to all be very careful that the government, uh, you say, oh, I don't, because you have to here get a one, uh, a checkup every year, and you have to really know how to say no, and to pray at that moment, and to, to just treat oneself at that moment. No, this is not part of my story, and I'm not dealing with aging, or teeth issues, or sleep, or old accidents, we really have to become very, very diligent to know that the one mind is in control and to let that control us. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank That's you, true. That's one of the practical aspects of practicing Christian science, isn't it? To recognize mm -hmm. the wickedness of socialism because it presents itself mm -hmm. in a very appealing way to a lot of people who don't know better. And then you get more and more involved in it and turning more and more to it and getting more and more dependent on it. And it can seem very wonderful and have everything so-called paid for, but, of course, you're paying for it through taxes. Some, somebody pays for somebody it. Somebody pays for it. I think, too, I know people who have gone into these places, they lose a lot of their rights if they're not careful. Well, you do. You do. You sign papers. All of their rights. Yeah. All of them. And they willingly give them up we, to, to a bureaucracy rather than to God. So thank you, Zary. This is why it's so important we're clear on these issues because it will suck you in if you're not. And as, as Christian scientists, we want our rights uh, to be who and what God made and not necessarily turn to the medical unless we have to for some reason. But even then now, we have to be so careful. And we're going to... More of this. Lawrence, did you want to say anything? No, I, I see now it's, it's a lot of, um, oh, a little of the truth here, and I'm, I still go to the medical here. You know, it's a lot of that. And uh, if we're going to do one way, God's way, then we have to cultivate the confidence and the trust and the faith in what we, we're using or what yeah. we've been taught to use. Yeah, and and you know this is this is a process. We are all growing spiritually, and as long as you know, until we ascend, we're going to have to work at it. And you know, it, it, it's not nobody said it was easy, yeah. but there there is a wonderful goal that we keep in mind, and that guides us every day in what to do each day.
and it helps us meet the issues that come to us each day. And it keeps us healthy and away from the medical it as does. much as possible. And I, I love preventative rather than curative. And if you find yourself in the medical for whatever reason, as Azari said, you have to learn to say no. You go in with a sword in hand and you're wide awake and alert as to what's happening. So you, if you need a t temporary means for something, there's never any condemnation for that. But generally speaking, we as Christian scientists do not want all our rights taken from us. And there's this tendency that it will be. And as we read in the Communist Manifesto, that's part of the plan that it will be, that it will be. And what don't they want you to do? They don't want you to turn to God for your answers. Turn to me. Or think for yourself. That's why we, that's why we are told to have the correct model in front of us and to watch it every day. And to know this, this idea of seeing yourself correctly. Um, I have to read this because Mrs. Eddie, she puts it so beautifully. She says, life is eternal and unchangeable and can never grow old. For time is not, and youth is immortal. You have always existed and always will exist, a perfect, complete, and finished work, a spiritual being created of and by spirit and subject only to spiritual law. You do now and ever must manifest a God life that is shining in you. It is working always in every part of your being to will and to do. There can never be any loss of your faculties, for they are of soul and not of sense. The life and strength of which you are the constant recipient are indestructible and infinite, and nothing can prevent their inflow. I just love the way she puts it so. And, and it's true. I mean, we all work in and at different stages of thought, so it's, there's no condemnation. All I'm saying is that. We cannot um, believe that something else is, is superior or su more supreme or supreme than God. That's so. it. That's it, because then you fall into disobedience of the first commandment. So even if you have to temporarily take something else, you still know that God is supreme. He's the great physician. You hold your thought on that. And God will see you through. He will. Through it. Not to stay in it or get involved in it forever but to see you through it out of it thank you and that's from because i work with that a lot that's what we call mm -hmm. by mary baker eddie we have it on audio and and uh, in a pamphlet and everyone should be working with that it covers so much and you see mrs eddie says you existed before and after what what the mr and mrs Ricky wrote about is all based on what mrs eddie said mm -hmm. and we can be very, very grateful for what people have written, but we must always go back to the source of it. It's very important because things could easily get misconstrued or even diluted. Um, you have to stay with science and health and prose works and the Bible. Keep yourself grounded in that and don't let anything or anyone make you think, oh, well, it's too hard to understand. It's simply not true. If it's hard to understand, that means you need to work harder. It's a textbook, so you work with it. And what it will reveal will be amazing. So I mean, children understand it. Children understand it. Yes. Benjamin in Nigeria, who had never heard of anything about that before, read it and was blown away by it and said, no person could have written this book. So... And it is also why we carefully guard in our church. We try only to have the early workers, the very early workers, do we quote and work with to keep the science as, as the pure science. The, these articles that Carrie sends, she's very careful only to get the early workers. Um, usually when Mrs. Eddie was around or shortly thereafter, but those who knew her or knew of her, um, Keep the purity to this. We can get carried away, especially with the more recent writers. Um, stay with the, the primitive source. Go ahead. Those, those who knew her and those who loved her. Yes, those who loved her. Her history. Yes. Because uh, you also need to know Mrs. Eddie's history, like with the Gester Fields and the 
that time period, which we have a, a love is the liberator on it. Thank you. And it's and it's because that's new age. Yeah, yeah. And, and this is just being totally practical because uh, as a result of the litigation uh, in. 1918, 1919, and I guess finished in 1920. Uh, as a result of that, the, the the board of directors who had become mesmerized into thinking that Christian Science was an organization instead of a science, um, they they kicked out most most right. of the good workers, and what was left was. The not so good workers, plus a few good workers who who kept in there out of out of loyalty to the science, out of loyalty to Mrs. Eddy, there were a few that remained uh, that the board was um, unable to kick out. But it was, uh, you know, it was devastating for uh, the movement and for a lot of the really good workers at the time. So we stick with the the tried and the true and the pure. And that is the model that we keep before us. Yes, and, and to, to go into these other things, when you haven't really studied, by other things I mean other writings, when you haven't really studied Science and Health, 1910 edition, prose works, and the Bible, um, a lot of people do this, and then they don't even know what Mrs. Eddy is sa- saying. You need to know what the le- your leader says, and then you can make righteous judgment about a lot of these other things. Um, a few of you have mentioned, I don't know who gets the banner, um, but in this banner of this time, um, there's you know, Andrew Hartsook was an amazing writer. He wrote that book, Christian Science After 1910. He wrote several articles before he wrote the banner in 1986. And this is one of them. And in it, he writes, since we've got on this topic, it's an important one. Some some aren't interested in it, but honestly, it is important to your understanding of Christian science. This is Eddie said, if you want to be a good practitioner, you need to know my history and the history of Christian science. So it's important. Andrew Hartsook writes, Much has been said and written about the Christian Science Board of Directors, but perhaps a few additional thoughts are in order. It only took three of the five directors to annul the estoppel clauses in the manual after Mrs. Eddy's passing. By now, more than a hundred years later, the current members had nothing to do with that action, nor do they have any personal memory of it. In fact, since the passing of George Wendell Adams in the 1950s, no board has has had a member who had personal knowledge of those events. So the current board has, in every sense, inherited what was done more than three-quarters of a century ago. It is hard to evaluate a storm if one is sitting in the eye of that storm. But someone sitting on its fringes can clearly see and accurately describe the overall situation. The current directors bear a heavy burden and responsibility. It would be difficult for them to break fixed traditions and policies. There would doubtless be a wave of despair in many quarters of the field if they were to set the publishing society free, to miss one of their own members, and operate solely within the provinces or in the provisions of the deed of trust, signed, sealed, and delivered by Mary Baker Eddy in 1892. For that reason alone, it might be wiser for only those alert branch churches which are really ready to forge ahead to do so at this time. And then, anyone who has visited the independent church in Plainfield, New Jersey, can tell you of their success, the genuine overflowing of love, the influx of young people, many of whom are new in Christian science. On Wednesday evening, that this writer visited the Plainfield Church there, church, there were about 100 people in attendance and 41 testimonies. I don't know. That's kind of a fish story. I'm not sure we had 41. We had a lot, but, um, but I, appreciate, I appreciate Andrew for doing this. 
all of this in a town of 46,000 people. Warmth, kindness, enthusiasm, and good humor abounded, and one could not help to think that this is what Mrs. Eddy intended. Now, I remember him visiting. He stayed with us, and it was wonderful. And that was when our church was in its heyday, if you will. Well, we had finished the litigation. We had won our right to be independent and to practice Christian science and to call ourselves Christian scientists, which the board of directors at the time all said that we could not do. And Mrs. Evans was here uh, teaching, and people were being attracted from all over the country, in fact, from all over the world, really, to come here and to be taught and to be part of, uh, you know, at least for a little while, part of the church. And it was a, it was a tremendous time. And I pray we never lose that enthusiasm and that clear, clear, um, direction that God was providing for us at the time and continues to provide for us as long as we don't lose sight of our mission. And and at that time, we did feel it was an example for other churches that, you know, we forged the way. Um, and it seemed somewhat strange to us that, you know, not, not many independent churches sprang up. Of course, we were totally... Uh, we were forced. Yeah, we we were forced, but also there was all this negative, negative stuff about us. I mean, we were the renegades. We, you weren't even supposed to come near us and that evidently still continues to this day and after after all of this heyday as i would call it i guess um there came what i will call the blitz i looked up that word it's not a nice word it's assault, assault aggra- aggressive continual attack it wasn't just for a little while it went on for years certainly our reputation financially everything and uh, it was a very difficult time. And it was, for most people, a mental attack, but many marriages were destroyed. All kinds of things went on then. But there was a remnant that survived it. And here we are. And it's important to say that because if I read these things and then people come to our church and see, well, we don't have 100 people. Um, well, with all of you, we do. That's why we love you so much. You, you, you have. Uh, kept us going in so many ways and we're so grateful for that so yes and we still are enthusiastic and and as gary said and we pray we never lose that and the blitz was the time of the greatest growth that ever could have been and we do not uh not sorry it happened although at the time it no we don't regret you know we don't any, regret anything, anything nor do we um, resent or hate anything that went on. It was for our growth and progress so that here we could stand today. Because um, it showed us that when error roars its loudest, that is when it is ripe for destruction. And we saw it destroy itself in many ways. And it gave us the confidence in God that we now have. And there's nothing greater in the world than to have confidence in God. Because once you've got that, nobody's going to take it away from you. Nobody can take it away from you. And so that was, it was the greatest gift ever. And many of you weren't here then, but I know in your own experiences, you've had very difficult times you've come through, and it's proven to you the same fact that God is here, he's real, he operates, and and so Again, trials are proofs of God's care. Whatever your experience has been, this happened to be our experience, and and I am grateful for it. So, but in thinking again about more churches popping up, and may hey, maybe it's still to happen. We heard about that one our dear friend in Mexico City told us about, but it didn't survive. I know there was another one in New York State. It also didn't survive, but I haven't heard of any others. Maybe there are others. But I will read again what Florence found many years ago. 
and the book, Mary Baker Eddy, Six Days of Revelation, page 321. To Mrs. Annie Knott, CSD, Principal of the Detroit Christian Science Institute, Mrs. Eddy gave warning that the time might come when medical thought might be so organized that it would make the practice of Christian science almost impossible. The remedy given was not the counterpower of Christian science churches, but when that time comes, I want my students to take every means possible to make science and health available to the whole world. Thank you, Florence, for finding that years ago. Um, okay, here we're back again. Science and health available to the whole world. And in turning to the Red Book today, she brings out over and over and over again what her book books, including prose works, which Mrs. Evans, thank God, highly talked about, recommended, used parts of it. Taught us from. Taught us from. Um, what it will do. Now listen to j just this one thing. Unity of good. Okay, unity of good. You know what that is, I hope. <laughs> is the seal that was put upon the devil and Satan for its teachings make it impossible for him to, to longer deceive the nations. Are you kidding me? I mean, seriously, unity of good, studied, lived, practiced, will make it impossible for Satan to deceive the nations. Isn't this what we need now? Right. Yes. How are we going to obtain it? Study the textbook. Study mm -hmm. unity of good. She said that was her masterpiece. Prose works. You know, I'll never forget when this pandemic started and we were having a Bible study. It was Zary. Zary said, this is the time, because we were all told we couldn't do this, that, and the next thing, pretty much stay home. This is the time to stay home and study the textbook. Do you remember that, Zary? Well, <laughs> I do. Yes, I remember that. Thank, thank you. <laughs> yes, she remembers that. Yes. Let us take our textbook. Let us take what Mrs. Eddy says, unity of good, work with these things. Sometimes you might even know, not know why, like this. It, it, she talks about other, you know, what she, science and health is the angel sent down from heaven. Malicious animal magnetism is the bottomless pit. And science and health gives us the key to it. It unlocks the mystery of ages. And its declarations of truth are the chain which binds that old serpent, the devil, for a thousand years. That is, it reduces sin, sickness, and death to a unit of nothingness. And that is there for us to prove to ourselves. Each one of us individually has the opportunity and the obligation to prove it to ourselves. You don't have to prove it to anybody but yourself. But in doing that, it's the spiritualization of all mankind, and it will send ripples forth. And it is sending ripples forth. Things are being uncovered, vastly uncovered. It's so important that things do become uncovered. There's something in, I don't know where I read it now, but in, in No and Yes, where she she says it, she says it many times that air uncovered is two thirds destroyed, and the final third destroyed. But also in No and Yes, she speaks about the uncovering of the era and how important it is. So this all must be done, and if not us, who? And if not now, when? And in thinking about all of this. Isn't it time now that we do bring in the millennium? Why do you think this little band of nobodies <laughs> survived all this? <laughs> For what other greater reason than that? The Christ was ushered in. Let us now usher in. And that's why what she writes in this red book about what science and health will do. And I mean, frankly, 
it can be, I mean, someone a while ago thought we should get rid of this church and that we should, you know, I, I don't know. But this church right now is extremely important. I, it's, it, the thought was abhorrent to me. It's very important at this point. I don't know what it'll be. Well, this, we, the, the recommendation was to sell sell the building and rent some kind of a storefront or something to hold our services. But that would have been the beginning of the end, and it would have been so distracting to have done something like that when we have so much good work to do here. And it's not finished yet. If it if it will be, the millennium will be here. We'll know when it's finished. Yeah, we'll know. I no. think that the go ahead. No, I think the website really is doing it. It's doing it for the world. So thanks. Um, yes. Yep. And that goes uh, to the world. I have a quick question. Are there plenty of copies of uh, Science and Health 1910? Yes. Yep. There are. And Florence had a good suggestion. I'm not sure it's been done, but I've, I'll say it now. For the membership committee, in its letters of acceptance to make sure you let everyone know that it, we use the 1910 edition because that is the edition Mrs. Eddy approved of before she left. Um, so we will um, know in doing all of this, we are going to find our immortal life. Immortal life. And there are many ways in this lesson that brings it out. There were just a couple of things before we end that Louise said, that Mrs. Eddy says about immortality. Um, and they're both from the blue book. God, keep, God, keep your eyes open to the movements of evil so that your good will be effectual and not diluted. Every truth you promulgate Put into force by open declaration. That's the definition. Every good and ardent thought you entertain, though it expose you to the aim of evil, makes you healthier, wealthier, wiser, and longer lived. And this is what we have found. The evidence of the senses to the contrary notwithstanding. Go in this path, and your immortality is brought to light. Page 84. And then on 272. Every scientist must put absolutely out of his thought the belief that he must sometime change to another plane of existence. God is life. There is no other plane of existence. And we must make our plans for immortality. Stop talking about death. There is no death to life. And then Louise writes, I love that. We must... Make our plans for immortality. Yes. <laughs> As the thought of immortality is contemplated more and more, I find myself perceiving the truth of limitless life, which includes no effects from the belief of aging, which is what Florence read. More and more, this has allowed me to daily accomplish more activities without the fear or manifestation of the so-called inevitable effects, whether physical weariness, soreness, or mental weariness. The practical practicality of the teachings of Christian science and action. Praise God and Mrs. Eddy for her clear teachings. So let us today practice and put into effect and make plans for our immortality. Okay? We'll see each other 600 years from now. <laughs> Maybe at the same table. <laughs> but anyway. <laughs> Whatever and whenever. It'll be God. However. However. <laughs> and in what way? So Gary is going to end on a beautiful article Carrie sent me from the Sentinel of 1912, The Unspeakable Gift by Mary H. Mary H. W. Carter. And this is an excerpt from that article. She writes, This gift, above all other gifts, this gift of eternal life, is the knowledge or understanding of God. How is this great blessing to be obtained? How can mankind attain to its possession? Jesus answered this same question when it was asked by the young man whom he loved in his reply, 
go thy way. Sell whatsoever thou hast and give to the poor. That is, in essence, separate yourself from all that has hitherto made up the sum total of your human existence. Lose your hold upon material things. Cease to cling to worldly possessions. The cherished ambition, the secret desire for wealth or fame, the hunger for personal affection, what are these when weighed in the balance with that abundant life which Jesus came to bring for mankind? Part with everything earthly that thou hast. Pride of intellect, with its innumerable ramifications, self-esteem, unjust criticism, false judgment, corroding envy and jealousy, mortal beliefs, all must drop from us. And then, being completely shorn of this garment of Phariseeism, with which we have so long clothed ourselves, how withal shall we be clothed? With the garments of salvation, the prophet Isaiah tells us, with gentleness, meekness, health, joy, peace, wisdom, purity, love. To some, this may seem an ideal so far removed from our finite sense as to be impossible of attainment. Nevertheless, the command of Jesus was that we should be perfect, and he would not have issued a command impossible of fulfillment. Not all at once, however, can we don this robe of righteousness. It must first be woven, slowly, patiently, trustingly, happily, day by day, hour by hour, moment by moment, with the warp and woof of right thinking. Belief in the reality of things material must be replaced by the understanding that God alone is real. Dependence upon the dicta of the human mind must be transformed into absolute reliance upon the one intelligence, the one mind. The hungry human heart, which has hitherto looked to finite affection for its sustenance, must find its complete satisfaction in divine love. Then, when the perfect pattern is wrought, when the wedding garment is finished, when the purified and enlightened consciousness is ready to receive this unspeakable gift, there shall come the revelation of truth, of Christ who is our life, and all sense of inharmony and discord, of ignorance and sin, of sickness and death shall be swept away, and the true man, emerging from the darkness of error, shall stand forth in the radiant glory of eternal, imperishable being, without beginning and without end, made in God's image and likeness. Thank you all for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.